This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 260th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast, which is now but one of four podcasts that comprise the Hollywood Reporters Podcast Network, the others being It Happened in Hollywood, Behind the Screen, and TV's Top 5. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is one of the greatest actresses of her generation. With a resume that includes five nominations for Academy Awards, nine for Golden Globe Awards, two of which resulted in wins, six for SAG Awards, and 11 for Critics' Choice Awards, three of which resulted in wins. She has given standout performances in almost every one of the last 15-plus years, in projects like 2002's Catch Me If You Can, 2005's Junebug, 2007's Enchanted and Charlie Wilson's War, 2008's Doubt, 2009's Julie and Julia, 2010's The Fighter, 2012's The Master, 2013's Her and American Hustle, 2014's Big Eyes, 2016's Arrival, and Nocturnal Animals. In 2018, she shined in two more projects, as Camille Preaker, a self-sabotaging journalist investigating a mysterious murder in the HBO eight-part limited series Sharp Objects, on which she was also an executive producer and for which she was nominated for a Golden Globe and is nominated for Critics' Choice and SAG Awards, and as Lynn Cheney, the former First Lady of the United States, in the Adam McKay film dramedy Vice, for which she was nominated for a Golden Globe and is nominated for Critics' Choice, SAG, and BAFTA Awards, with another Oscar nomination, and maybe even her first Oscar, likely right around the corner. The great Amy Adams. Over the course of our conversation at the offices of The Hollywood Reporter, the 44-year-old and I discussed how years of work in dinner theater led to her first film opportunities— how her subsequent career has come in phases, with people typecasting her as one thing, such as innocence, for a few years, after which she has managed to break into different phases thanks to the imagination of directors including David O. Russell, Paul Thomas Anderson, Spike Jones, Tim Burton, and Denis Villeneuve, how she has managed to so thoroughly invest herself in her parts, body and soul, while guarding against letting her work, which is often dark, bleed into her life, plus much more. So without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Amy, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you. And I have to just quickly note, because it's kind of a, a rare opportunity to drop a, a fact like this. The first time I did a long-form interview with you like this, I looked it up, was 13 years ago and three days ago. 
I was in a dorm room at Brandeis University. I had started a website about the Oscar stuff. You were, it was the beginning of people starting to have sort of awards interest in you for Junebug. Oh my goodness. And I listened back to it and I, I had mentioned to you a few weeks ago, I think in San Francisco, that the weirdest part about it was that at that time I still trusted IMDb as a primary source. And my first question to you, uh -huh. based on IMDb, was I understand that your real name is not Amy Adams. <laughs> and there was this long pause, and you were very nice about it, and you said, it's not? <laughs> because IMDb, I think it was like Amanda Jessica Adams or something, but I learned that lesson, yeah. and I also have loved following the last 13 years, so thank you for giving me a second chance to get it right this thank time. Thank you, so, thank you. On this one, we really started at the beginning, so I want to just ask you where you were born and raised and what your folks did for a living. Oh, I was born in Vicenza, Italy, raised primarily in Colorado. My dad was in the Army, mm -hmm. thus the overseas birth, and when he came out of the service, worked in hospitals, mm -hmm. managing medical units. And my mother is sort of like the queen of the odd job. She's sort of now settled into being a masseuse. Nice, nice. But she has done everything from deliver newspapers to coach gymnastics to bodybuild. She's very uh, transient in yes. her career choices. Yeah. And so you were one of seven, and you, I believe in, I'd read until you were 12, were raised Mormon pretty observantly. Yeah. How did those two things shape you? You know, I really loved going to church. I loved kind of a silent place to be reverent. It taught me sort of the great work ethic and sort of understanding the golden rule. And we loved to sing. So there was yeah. always a lot of that. So I think a lot of that was instilled in sort of the idea of family and community was was put inside of me in a way that's still really meaningful. When you're one of seven, though, does it make you more or less interested in getting attention from others, would you say? Not attention, but doing things where you're noticed. You no, know, I was actually thinking about this today. That's funny <laughs> that you would ask that because I, I tend to be really shy and, you know, not one-on-one. -on -one. Like mm -hmm. if you're talking to me one-on-one, -on -one, I'm, I'm not that shy. But when I get inside of a group, mm -hmm. I kind of want to disappear, which is a bit of a problem as an actress <laughs> or like when you go to an award show. Like, right. So I, I struggle with that. Like how do I portray myself authentically and yet feel like I want to disappear at the same time because it really isn't who I am. I'm not one-on-one. -on -one, I, I don't feel like that at all. I think what I learned from growing up that sometimes attention was good and sometimes <laughs> attention was bad. Like the more you could fly under the radar, the more, <laughs> the better it was, you know? So in school, it sounds like the way it, from just reading as much as I could find, the way that maybe manifested itself is, you know, you somewhat keep to yourself, do your own thing. So how does that type of person then wind up performing? I love stories. Yeah. I always felt excited when I would watch movies and I'd always get excited when I watched performances or when I would watch even school plays, even if I wasn't involved in them, I would want to kind of get in and figure out how I would do it. And I think it was just a real interest in that. And it kind of happened in a very strange way. Like it, now that I think about it, it was organic by my choices, mm -hmm. but I never had a plan to be where I am today. So I guess just as you're entering the years when we're all trying to figure out who we are, your yeah. parents split up yeah. and you have to move with your mom to mm -hmm. Atlanta. It's a whole different ball game now, right? Well, I grew up, I finished high school in Colorado, okay. but then I moved to Atlanta right after graduation. I didn't go to college. Okay. So going through high school is an interesting identity yeah. shift. I started focusing more on dance. And you were actually thinking about, for a number of years, 
going to New York to do the kind of musical theater type stuff? Or? I'm still thinking yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that was that was sort of the plan. But again, I was never overly confident. And so I I always wanted to go there when I felt that I was ready. And I kind of felt like I, I would know when that was like so, maturity. Yeah, I, I was very immature. So first stop is Atlanta, right? Then back to Colorado, Colorado and then Minnesota and then Minnesota. So yeah. what was going on in each place? So Atlanta, I was training with a dance troupe down there. I wasn't with them, but I, I trained. I was kind of getting out of ballet at that point, and so I was trying new dance styles. I'm really bad at hip-hop, so <laughs> that was not going to work. And then um, a friend of mine called from Colorado and said, I got a paying job in this you know, community theater is doing a production of Annie, and I have to leave them, and they need me to find somebody who can dance on point, who can tap dance, who can sing, and who can say a couple lines. Would you be willing to come back and do it? And so that was sort of how I found that path. And that was for both Colorado and then later Minnesota, what was once a pretty popular form of acting, performing, but is yeah. not that widely around anymore, but dinner theater, right? Yes. So can you explain for somebody listening who doesn't know what that is, you know, for somebody who then didn't go to drama school, I think it was in a way your training ground. Oh, it was my training right? ground. Absolutely. So dinner theater, the idea is, is that it's like a, you can bring the whole family, you all sit at a table, you eat dinner, and then you see a show. So you kind of get a, it's a good value. You know, yeah. you get the show and dinner in the same spot. Yeah, but we put on some amazing productions. Like I've gone back and I'm, they're quite impressive, you yeah. know, and a lot of the people who performed both in Colorado with me and Minnesota had performed on Broadway or in tours. So, and just decided they liked the lifestyle of living in Minnesota and uh, wanted to raise families. And yeah. so, yeah, they were very talented and it's a training ground, not only in your craft, but in work ethic. And mm. it's a great place to start. And for anyone who doubts that even movie stars have humble beginnings, what was the job in Atlanta? The first job in Atlanta, wasn't it? The Gap? No. I well, know. That... You're, you're talking about it was in Colorado. Wasn't it? Col Why is everybody so fascinated with Hooters? <laughs> Hooters. It's literally become. The funny thing is nobody would have even known. But I remember on my first movie, there was a producer named Gavin. Damn right. you, Gavin. <laughs> Who found out who we were talking about the oddest jobs while I was eating like crab legs at lunch, which now I mean like with my fake nails. We don't need to get right. into it. It was a mess. So we're eating crab legs. He's like, what's the weirdest job all you Minnesota girls have ever had? And I was like, I worked at Hooters once. <laughs> then he told everybody. He told Conan O'Brien. And right. then the first time I was on Conan O'Brien, he brought up that I worked at Hooters. And now it is literally like. Adam McKay brought it up in San Francisco. I, know, I gave him permission. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well. Tom Hanks brought it up at my Cinematheque. I'm like, it was three months. Three months it of my for life. Your car. I, it doesn't, honestly, right. I, I have no problem with it. It just makes me laugh because there's so many elements to a person's life. Of course. No. It's a great thing to teach kids because it's like three months <laughs> in orange shorts and you have to talk about it forever. And this was before social media. Like, right, right. It was a really good job because at the time, minimum wage was $3.85 and they were willing to pay $7 to the hostesses. And that for me, like saving up for a car and being a dancer, I was like, right. I ran around in tights and a leotard all day long anyway. But <laughs> I learned there was a difference between dance class and Hooters very quickly. So while you were still in Minnesota doing dinner theater, you hear about a local casting for a film, yeah, which is not that common in probably Minnesota, right? 
at the time there were all there were films that kind of came in and out and yeah. so i know that people had had parts but they were looking for girls to play locals in a beauty pageant in a film called drop dead gorgeous yeah and was it just like one of these kind of what they've called like cattle calls where just the yeah. whole world shows up oh yeah. yeah yeah so did you it just did it for a laugh no, I did it because, you know, you when you had an opportunity to audition for anything, you, you went on it. I auditioned for commercials and industrials and, like, strange hair shows, you know, where <laughs> you were, like, model. Like, I was five foot four. I was never going to get a modeling job. But they send you on everything. And so you go. You know, oh. any opportunity is, is a great opportunity. So um, this one pans out. You get the part. I got a part, yeah. First film role. I guess it sounds like one of the people who was important that you met on that was Kirstie Alley. Yeah. What was that about? I, it was as simple as I I didn't know anything about filmmaking or how to work on camera. And I would sit behind the sound cart because we had a lot of downtime. And I would watch everybody work and sort of look at their different ways of the way that the camera, you start wide and then medium. I didn't know anything. So I had a quick education on that. And I went to her. I kind of became bold and said, hey, I was thinking of either moving to New York or L.A. Do you have any advice? And she said, oh, you should come to L.A. You're funny, and they're hiring young people right now. It was during <laughs> something called, do you remember the youth quake it was called, I think? Maybe, yeah. I don't know. It was this is so we're talking like just around when the turn of the century, right? <laughs> yeah, 1999. And, uh, right. Yeah. She said, you should come to L.A. You'll work. I had to make a decision between New York and L.A., and I, I was injured. So, so dancing wasn't going to happen. Not for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Had you previously, aside from, you know, so Drop Dead Gorgeous kind of just happened because you were in Minnesota and the opportunity came around, but was screen acting particularly something you wanted to do? I mean, I guess if I searched my soul, I would have wanted to do it, but I didn't have the type of belief in myself. I thought that, I've said it before, I thought only movie stars acted in movies (laughs) and I wasn't a movie star, so I couldn't wrap my head around that I could work in the film industry that's where special people went you know or people who had it and i never saw myself like that so but once i started looking at it the same way i looked at theater which is you know focusing on your craft and studying and taking classes and i became kind of obsessed once i got here and getting out here even though so it's you and your brother Mm -hmm. i saved up all my money from drop dead gorgeous put it in the bank yeah (laughs) and then drove yeah how did that go not well. <laughs> we broke down in Las Vegas, and not Las Vegas, Nevada. We broke down in Las Vegas, New Mexico. Oh, no. And no. with all of his belongings, I had shipped mine on Amtrak mm-hmm. bulk, which they do, mm-hmm. by the way. So I had shipped my belongings out here, and we were on the side of the road. And this was before cell phones, and neither of us knew what to do. And luckily, a <laughs> family pulled over. And I uh, went to the next town and got us a tow truck and came back with the tow truck. So it was, I feel like I've been saved by people's goodwill very often in my life. So <laughs> I have a lot of a lot of karma there that I right. need to make up for. Well, so you get out here and it seems like pretty quickly you were working. Yeah. But it was in things that were, I think the way you've described, I'm trying to find the exact quote, but you were basically saying like a lot of the variations of the cheerleader kind of part or was that yeah it was very there were archetypes I I I tended to get cast in yeah but I mean probably I was most appropriate at that point I was very green I didn't know how to audition and actually blonde right at that point I was blonde yeah 
Blonder, anyway. Blonder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's kind of where I was at at that point, sort of my cheerleader bitch phase. <laughs> and yeah. it was a lot of, you were saying. Which is actually closest to my personality. No, I'm <laughs> I kidding. don't believe that. <laughs> Sorry, my, my husband's laughing. He's Actually, he's not laughing, no. which kind of tells you everything you need to know. He's like, that's right. <laughs> so it was a lot of WB guest starring parts, a TV series that was then recut into Cruel Intentions 2. Yes. It was because it wasn't flying as a TV series, right? Well, it was at the time too risque, they oh, thought, for TV. Yeah. which is so funny because then like 10 years later, Gossip Everything. Girl was out and I'm like, oh my gosh, that makes us look like, you know, right. Saturday morning television on ABC <laughs> Family. I guess we're talking a few years before Catch Me If You Can, but what was interesting, I did not realize that until I started to dig into this again. You first went out for that before the director was Spielberg. Right? Wasn't there yeah. another director? There was another director the first time. Was it Gore Verbinski was first I, doing it? I think so. But, like, how did that come together that that would be the first one where people really noticed you? My first, I remember it very clearly because my original audition date was September 11, 2001. No. So that's kind of always in my head. And I think there are certain things in my life that have created moments of fearlessness. And I think when the audition got rescheduled, I felt like... I had to just throw caution to the wind because, you know, life is short. Uh -huh. We were all living in fear at that moment. And so I just wanted to step outside of like, I, I had a different perspective in that audition yeah. than I'd ever had. And, this and I is... was able to just focus on the character. And so that time that you actually, when it was rescheduled at that time, was it now Spielberg? The the first schedule was Spielberg as well. Oh, it was, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you had first been approached before it was Spielberg. Well, when you're starting out, you aren't really approached. <laughs> you're kind of given us, you're, right. you're given sides right. and saying like, maybe we can get you in on right. this, you know, <laughs> you're not really approached. And I wasn't right. approached on this either. It was really just, they were reading a bunch of girls. Right. Isla Fisher. That's, oh, really? Was that the first time I met Isla? People then have ever, ever yeah. after well, uh, I see, well, Yeah, we saw, <laughs> I know, isn't that funny? Right. But yeah, I remember, I remember that very clearly, that audition. So once you get that part, that's got to feel like a big deal. It was yeah. a big deal. You're on the set with Spielberg and Leonardo DiCaprio. You've got to, let's remind people, braces, your character has pigtails, yeah. really cementing that early idea of, you know, the, the innocent character, right? Yeah. That for, for a while We're was now there. out of We're the quite out of the, that's right, Into the innocence. Into the right? innocence, yeah. The, the thing there was your character is supposed to burst out crying, mm -hmm. and that was not... I can't imagine for anybody that's an easy thing to do, right? Maybe for some people. Yeah, <laughs> I tend to burst out crying when I shouldn't. But um, no, it was, there was a, I was very nervous on that set. But I was like, I was so into Brenda that I just stayed in character most of the time. And it was, I know what you're speaking of. It's the moment where I, it's not in the final film. Because my character cries a lot in <laughs> Catch Me If You Can. But I was supposed to sort of like tear spring to the eyes kind of thing, which mm -hmm. really isn't my talent. <laughs> and Spielberg walked over and he said, you know, you're acting from here. And he pointed to my head and he said, you need to act from here, which was your heart. And that's something I still, when I'm struggling, mm -hmm. I try to take it from my head to my heart. Right. So the movie comes out, gets widely seen. The expectation is that this is going to launch a thousand more great you know, roles that'll be bigger and better and everything. And yet it was three years between Catch Me If You Can and Junebug. Mm -hmm. And from what I understand, you, you were, that was scary. It's frustrating. You're approaching your 30th 
birthday within mm-hmm. that period. And you've said the way you described it was that you, quote, choked, close quote, at auditions and were, quote, paralyzed by the idea of people paying attention to what I did, close quote, now that yes. they had some idea of who you were. Yes. So looking back, how do you explain that? And how did you get out of that? I just had a crisis of confidence. Like I couldn't accept that I belonged in that company. Mm-hmm. I couldn't accept that for myself. I didn't believe it. And I think when you lack, it's not that I believe it now. I stopped worrying about where I belonged mm-hmm. and I just started focusing on the work. Mm-hmm. You know, I was too caught up, I think, in being something or being somebody or achieving something or having made it. And I wasn't focusing on the work that I needed to. And I stepped away from being anything and just went back to being an actress. Uh And that's when everything clicked for me, like really changed in my mind and in my work Uh and in the way I approached it. And I've had moments along the way where I go through that again, where I feel like, oh, you're kind of, you're thinking about the wrong thing. You need to take a step back and and return to your work. Interesting. So it's also, you know, the the role that people see as the breakout was Junebug. Mm -hmm. And we'll just remind people it was shot in like, your scenes, I think, 18 days, less than a million dollar budget, another sort of very sweet character, but with depth that emerges and talkative pregnant woman. But when that came along, before we all realized what it was, it was the less exciting of two projects in your life at the moment, right? I mean, you had a TV series. Yeah, I was, I had been cast in a TV series opposite Rob Lowe called Dr. Vegas. Mm -hmm. And that was, it was challenging (laughs) because The director got let go of halfway through filming the pilot. Mm -hmm. They colored my hair red. They brought in a really tall, tan, beautiful blonde who was as sweet as we're still friends. (laughs) But like, I kind of saw the writing on the wall. I'm like, oh, I'm not what they want. And I knew it. No one was saying it. But Rob Lowe talks about it in his book. Oh, really? That I I don't want to quote his book because I don't know the exact thing. But it was essentially Amy Adams isn't sexy enough. Wow. And I knew it. You know, I knew that's what they were feeling. So, but to be fair, I did go from playing his love interest to playing Junebug. Right. So they might have been on to something. Well, um, I don't know. But I, I think, but you know what I but mean. That was I, I've never apart. been someone that's, that's something that I've focused on or that I think is my innate energy. Sure. So I wasn't, my feelings weren't hurt. It just was like, oh, I think I'm about to get fired, which I essentially was. And which sucks all the more when you went into it thinking this could be the break out in a way. I didn't know if it would be. Honestly, I I, I needed a job. Yeah. I was broke. Well, that's you what know? Beth yeah. Davids was saying that when you were on the set of Junebug, giving this great performance, not knowing though that anyone would ever even really see mm-hmm. the movie, you were very concerned about just literally paying rent. Yeah, I thought I was going to have to move out of LA. Mm-hmm. I was concerned. Talk about what then happens when the movie gets done. You go back to work and trying to, you know, stay above water. And a few months later, it goes to Sundance, premieres, goes over as well as it did. You're at that point 31, which is older than most people are when they first become a star, right? Mm -hmm. For especially women in this business. And then what happens at Sundance? It was amazing. It was, um, I remember, and we have a picture of it. I was walking down the street and I just felt a shift in my whole energy, but I got awarded with a special jury Uh prize for acting. It wasn't that I thought I had made it or that I thought that I was going to have the future that I've been blessed enough to have. It just, I felt a shift in my own acceptance of my work. 
Like, I'm going to focus on my work. That has to be what matters to me. I mean, the critical response, Ebert was like, I think your biggest champion. And then the festival, you know, you go home, you come back because they're giving you the award. Yeah. All this stuff. Was it just that you needed a confidence booster maybe? I don't know, because I'd been given a lot of opportunities along the way if I'd been ready to embrace them. Mm-hmm. I think it was just I had been ready to walk away. It's that whole thing, you yeah. know, when, if you're ready to let something go, then once it comes back to you, it feels different. And I'd been ready to I'd been ready to let it go. I was like, if I'm this isn't worth pursuing at the sake of my happiness. Mm-hmm. And so if I can't pursue acting and be a healthy, functioning human being. Right. I would rather not be an actress, you know. <laughs> That's I, logical. That's, yeah. yeah, so I've had to return to that several times. You know, okay, let's get back to health here. So right. it's still how I feel. If I can't do this and and have perspective, right? yeah. So Sundance happens, then there's always this gap before the movie's actually released to any, so anyone who wasn't at Sundance can see what's going on. Yeah. And I think it was in between people in Sundance hearing, you know, realizing what, what you were capable of and the rest of us getting to see it that you were then cast in Enchanted. Is that right? Yeah, it was interesting because I also didn't, ex- I, my expectations changed. I didn't think just because Junebug happened that I would suddenly get endless opportunities. Right. I understood it differently. I understood a different path I wanted to be on. So I actually got cast in Talladega Nights. That was the first I was, pop. Yeah, 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 I did Talladega Nights, but I had auditioned for Enchanted. And so between two or three months after the audition is when they finally called. Right. And we should just note, because we're going to come back to him, that just if anybody doesn't realize, Talladega Nights directed by Adam McKay 13 years before Vice. So that's interesting. The last of the innocent roles, I guess, was the nun in doubt, I think, right? That would be, or there may have been very, like, but that was I think so. Yeah, there was some, you know, there was some... Shakeups in there, sunshine cleaning. Yeah, which, right. With Emily Blunt. Yeah. yeah, I think Emily's amazing. Yeah. And, um, but that was now just for people keeping track at home. One of two that you've done with Meryl Streep. The other not really sharing scenes, but Julie and Julia. Yeah. And one of three that you did with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. The other is Charlie Wilson's War and the Master. In doubt, your character is sort of caught between theirs, and there are these two particularly great scenes in the garden. One with each of them, mm. and I guess I just wonder what your big takeaways were with from working with these two I would think it's probably a little intimidating going in yeah (laughs) (laughs) I mean talk about really testing your confidence level because we went through a rehearsal process and it was rehearsed like a play and here's Meryl Streep and Philip Seymour Hoffman both of whom are powerhouses not only in film but on stage and I'm like, I did anything goes at Chan and Dinner Theaters. Um, but I had to suck it up. You know? yeah. But it was a great, what a wonderful opportunity for an actor to get to watch those two in rehearsal. Yeah. And then just get to kind of come in every once in a while. I mean, I had my moments. Yeah. Huh? I had a moment where I was supposed to yell at Meryl in the rehearsal. It's the scene where she's like, you blew my light out. <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't even get my voice had completely I couldn't yell and John's like let's take a break and I was like I don't know what to do John I I, I can't yell at her I'm, I'm paralyzed I, I I feel like I don't know what to say I don't know what to do I feel, and he goes you're really letting this character get to you 
And I realized instead of fighting that impulse that I felt with them, that was exactly where I needed to be. So I started trusting my body's reactions mm-hmm. to a character in that point. That's interesting. So I was yeah. like, oh, actually, I'm not supposed to be confident. I'm not supposed to be right. in charge here. I'm supposed to be the one in conflict. They're both certain I'm in conflict. Mm-hmm. And so I just let it play out, and I stopped trying to be Meryl Streep, and I just stopped trying to keep up with Philip Seymour Hoffman, <laughs> and I never tried either of those right, two things right. ever again. That's so funny. So, yeah, it was, a, it was an important lesson for me to, again, not try to be somebody else and right. not try to keep up. Well, yeah. I left out a, a little detail that you did get an Oscar nomination for Junebug, which was yeah. the beginning, and then the next one was for Doubt. And then the next one was for The Fighter, which I want to ask you about, because this is the first one of the new phase, I guess, where it's like, and I think it was came about because of the fact that you had sort of a, a initial dealing with David O. Russell where there are other sides of of the equation with him, but in this case, he was re- he recognized that you had more to offer, right? Yeah, we had, I'm not sure if he still does, but we would have these long lunches and he would just talk about characters or ideas and really whenever he talked, he kind of took me there and I sort of felt like whatever character he was talking about. So he would talk to me about these characters that he was thinking about Mm -hmm. for different, because I met him several times along the way. Before there was a specific project. Yeah, before there was a specific project. There must have been something, because there's something about the way that he worked that just took me right wherever he wanted me to be. And even in the lunches and talking about it, I just was right there. And he must have seen that intensity and thought, we haven't seen that yet. I want to get that intensity I mean, I don't really know what his thought process was. And I remember getting sent the script and he's like, you, uh, we want you to play Charlene. And I was like, the bar girl? Like, I was like, yes, finally. I'd had so many meetings with directors who hadn't seen me do that. And sometimes if they haven't seen you do it, it's hard to convince them that you can without an audition or without, you know. And you had been yearning to show these other sides or was it something that you well, weren't sure. even yeah you know i i never felt limited when i was playing i didn't see that the character from doubt was the same as the character from enchanted or i didn't think either of them were like ashley but i could see where people were like maybe this is what she does and mm-hmm. i know that there's a it can be tricky for women to get stuck inside of an archetype or find a niche and not find your way out of it and so i was i just wanted to challenge myself outside of that play to different sides of my own psyche and personality So I was definitely looking for something that felt other. Maybe you can describe on that one, as opposed to what we'll come to in a minute with American Hustle, just on the fighter, though, first time you're actually working in the way that David works, which from what talking to other people, it's like a little nuts. Like he'll yell at you when you're doing scenes and stuff. Like, how did you respond to that? Honestly, I was kind of like I'm at the time I was in my character and. She was so fun, like Charlene. So I'd be like, I'm resetting. You know, I would tell him, like, I can't start the scene over without resetting the margarita. So if you can be patient, (laughs) he'd be like, oh, okay, okay. So I would be very calm and in Charlene, very, I would just stay there. So it's like it never, for me, it was just a focus challenge. Like at some point, everything just becomes a challenge, Mm -hmm. you know, so it just was a really great challenge to stay that flexible and to stay that present in the character and with the other actors and in the moment because he could ask you to do anything at any given moment and you just have to be right there. So it was a great growing experience for me. And also the first time working with Christian Bale. Christian Bale. The next 
big one, I think, would be the master for mm-hmm. Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. And again, with Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's playing the leader of a kind of cult-like group, and you're his wife, but really the one person who can steer him, it seems. And you said in Telluride last year when you were honored at that film festival that the scene that actually made you want to do the movie was the one that was maybe the least Amy Adams-like associated kind of character in which I guess there's no easy way to say this, but uh, basically she masturbates her husband in in the scene. That really was the one that sold you on it? It wasn't. Let me clarify, because this seems wrong. There's usually something in a script, something that happens, something that the character does, where I say, I know who she is, and now I have to play her. Mm-hmm. It wasn't when she pleasured her husband. Right. It was when she coolly reached over and wiped her hand on the towel and then just walked out of the room. I was like, oh, oh, I know who she is, and now I want to be her. I felt like she was that particular description in the script I knew the whole story of her you know and I I got excited yeah yeah so it wasn't it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't the, the chance wasn't, to do no. that <laughs> you know because that's fun right that's With, not awkward at all <laughs> sorry Philip and then how does Paul Thomas Anderson work as a director in comparison to some of the other powerhouses that you've dealt with is he he's kind of quiet about his process so I don't think that much is known about it You know, I can't quite get it out of him, what his process and what, (laughs) but he lets things play out. He encourages that kind of intensity and that kind of connection. He's not afraid to tell you (laughs) when it sucks, (laughs) which I love. He's like, wow, yeah, let's do that again. Um, And he's become a dear friend of mine. He's always been one of my favorite directors, like Phantom Thread, I was like, we need to make this into a series, and I just want to see those three people torture each other for like... (laughs) Forever. Forever. But it's because he allows... There's something about the way that he directs and what he encourages and the way that he pushes you Right. that takes you to a really cool place. So the next year after that was three... You know, I I don't know the order in which things were shot, but I know when they come out, it's, it's pretty unbelievable to have in one year American Hustle back with David O. Russell, her for Spike Jones, mm-hmm. and your first time playing Lois Lane all in one year. It does seem like a That's lot. That's a lot. <laughs> Let's start, if we can, with American Hustle, again with Christian Bale mm-hmm. second time. It sounds like it was a different experience than the than the fighter. You've said it was not as Well, and I think I was playing a very different character, yeah. and I think that kind of plays into that as well. Yeah. But it was just, it was a more heightened experience. Mm-hmm. I think the whole energy of the film is a more heightened experience. So I think, you know, where, where, you know, sometimes people call actors method actors, I think David might be a method director, (laughs) where he takes on sort of the energy of the film, and that kind of goes into his directing style. So that's kind of what I attribute that to. Yeah. But there's still, to some degree, you're welcome to offer input about things. Like I know that a scene in this case that was talked a lot about was you and Jennifer Lawrence in the bathroom. That was your input. That was, yeah. Yeah, David really encourages yeah. input. He will say, it takes longer to talk about it than to just do it. If you want to go again, you don't have to ask permission. Just right. go. Like, so he'll keep it really loose, which is great. You know, right. it's so much fun and so energetic and sometimes frustrating. Right. And sometimes, like, at one point in American Hustle, I remember... Bradley, I was supposed to, I don't think it made it in the film, but I'm supposed to hit him in the face with something and (laughs) then hit him with my hand. And I was 
I don't like to hurt people, you know? That's not my... Well, that's not... There's sometimes I want to. But, you know, not other actors. So Bradley's like, do it. Just hit me. Hit me. And David's behind him going, hit him. Hit him. And I'm like, I don't want to hit him. And I... I hit him and his hey. face swole up and I said, I guess, I guess we're done then. Cause oh he was like, Burr. God. Yeah. I was like, you taught me how to hit in the fighter. And then right. you tell me to hit Bradley in the face. This isn't going to end well, <laughs> but David does encourage it. So yes, yeah. the scene in the, uh, bathroom. Oh, the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. Which was just because you could make it more of a mind trip to have like, it's like a chess game. I honestly couldn't figure out why my character would let that woman out of the bathroom. <laughs> And I was like, this girl has to do something to get me off my foot. And just insulting me is not going to do it. Mm -hmm. Like my character's got too much at stake here to just let her leave and go mess everything up. So she's got to do something to surprise me. That worked. And I yeah. said, what if she kisses me? And David, of course, David's like, yeah, that's not. No, he didn't say that. That's not what he did. I'm being, I'm being cheeky. But, but you've he, said a lot of stuff was left on the cutting room floor that, and some dark stuff with that movie. Yeah. Was there one thing that you most wish had made it in? I don't remember. I think some of the stuff made it into DVD. So mm-hmm. it's funny. Once the film comes together, I always feel weird saying I wish something was different because you right. have to trust the process of the director and the editor and and trust the story that they decide to tell. And so I tend to let it go pretty quickly. Right. Is there any chance of a third with you and David? Someday. One day? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Spike Jones with her is a very different vibe, I think. Uh, Spike as a person. You were playing the platonic friend and confidant of Joaquin Phoenix's character, who we will remind people falls in love with an operating system. You have said that you felt a, quote, shift in your process while making that movie through which you, quote, stopped caring about the weight of criticism, close quote. What do you think happened that brought that about? I think Spike... Before he finished writing it, we had a lot of conversations in which I shared. He really, he's such a gentle spirit, even though he's, you know, demanding and, you know, really great, challenging director. He's really great to work with. And he, he definitely pushes pushes you in a great way. But his spirit is so, his, it's so soft and he really wants to know the truth of you. And so part of Amy, which the character was named, he brought aspects of my own personality into, which was scary for me because I like hiding in character. So when he brought different things about me into that character, I had to let go of worrying about what people thought about Amy, this Amy, (laughs) you know, in order to give him that kind of authenticity because I like to hide, you know. Is that the allure of acting? Yeah, it's a chance to connect to humanity in a different way, to, for better or worse, to experience. I'm trying to think of it because my husband always tells me that I always go over scenarios in my head to protect myself from things. So I'll go over like what could happen in order to prep myself for something bad. And in a way, I think acting's like, that's like the greatest way to do it. Like I'm like prepping myself. Um, But you also know where it's going. There's not that uncertainty that there is in real life. No, there's not. You Usually. have the illusion of control right. anyway. <laughs> Although sometimes in some of my performances I've lost control. But I don't know. But it also is I'm always more comfortable acting than I am sitting here. Like I don't think I've stopped fidgeting since I sat down. I think you're and doing great. And I can be very you're... still. No, I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy talking to you. Thank I'm just you. Uh, less comfortable. Like if I was playing my character from American Hustle, I wouldn't have fidgeted at all. 
I would have been cool as a cucumber. You might have whacked me, though. I might have been. <laughs> no, no, no. Not unless you were a real jerk. Right. So Big Eyes was the next year. And I understand, just for my people, you're playing Margaret Keane, this artist who was really abused in different ways by her husband, and for Tim Burton. But because she is, in a way, could be called naive or not, that's not, I don't, I don't know if that's the right word, but there were things that evoke the early the innocence mm. that that phase your initial inclination was to pass right you know the first time I read it I didn't necessarily connect or I felt mm. like I could kind of see the performance mm. and I just thought if I can see it I don't I won't be surprised by it yeah yeah but then going in there I'll go back to this question again about just the directorial style of somebody like Tim Burton who mm. is thought to be eccentric and not in the best way but like just not your everyday guy does he direct in very different ways than other people as well that film marked the first time I found my voice as an actress when I wasn't performing I was able to offer ideas I was able to say I think I know how to fix this I know why it's not working can I try this whereas before I just not I don't know why I just never I just didn't speak up and it was really interesting playing a character that didn't have a voice I found mine that is amazing. And that's the first yeah. time I really thought I wanted to be a producer because I was like, people heard my ideas and we tried them and they worked. They liked it, yeah. And yeah, it's not only they liked it, they worked. Like yeah. it worked. It fixed a problem and that became exciting to me. My instincts and my experience, I could find a different way to help a production. You know, that became kind of a thing. What was it there that made you more willing to do that? Is he just an yes. open guy? Yeah, or yes. He asked. That's nice. Hey, I feel like this isn't working or what does this scene mean to you or why do you think this moves the story? And I would at first I didn't want to say anything because what if I was wrong? But I would tell him and he's like, oh, wow, that could really work. I still don't think it serves the story. So I'm cutting it. And that was okay too. Or there was another scene. And I remember I was so excited. I ran to set. I'm like, I know how to fix this because he's like, I'm not sure how this is going to work with this. And I say, I know how to do it. And and we did. That's how. That's what ended up in the film. And so that was, that was great. That's great. Yeah. All right. So in one year was both, that year being 2016, was both Nocturnal Animals for Tom Ford and Arrival with Denis Villeneuve, two women who had both experienced and were deeply shaped by traumatic loss. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what kind of a headspace that is to occupy for a whole year. Are you somebody who we didn't, we haven't talked about this yet, where you go home and you have a kid and you can just snap right out of it? Or does it affect you when you are playing characters that have been through so much trauma as these two have? I'll use something my daughter says, half, half. (laughs) (laughs) She says that all the time when I ask her how something is. It's half, half. (laughs) It seeps in. It does seep in. But the experience of doing things probably affects me more than the actual role. Sometimes, you know, I will have a crisis during filming if something's particularly hard where I have to kind of check in. Mm-hmm. I'm lucky. I've got a husband who understands and I've got a really, a really cool daughter. She's yeah. really cool. And um, I found it really enriched my work because I am able to leave it. And so I'm not obsessing. I try to do things to ground me. I try to make dinner. I try to get home to give her a bath, something where it's just not having to do with work. On which movie, if that's one way to measure things, did she come along? Was it 
How old is she? Uh, she came along to Arrival. The set of Arrival No, was, I mean, like, when was she oh, born? Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. No, 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 but that would be uh, interesting, too, yeah. She came along in, after the fighter. Okay. And before the master and uh, Man of Steel and all that. So do you think there was any, is there any correlation with anything else in the world? I mean, the fighter was the sort of a introduction of a new yeah. chapter, but I don't know if that had anything to do with how you were feeling as a... Pregnant. Were you pregnant during the fighter? I wasn't. No, it no. was after. No, it was right after. Yeah. I felt a different responsibility, mm-hmm. you know, after she was born. Mm-hmm. So I think that took an adjustment, you know, like any new mom or yeah. new new parent. It's an adjustment yeah. and a different responsibility. And I think it took, it took me a while. And I think it was after American Hustle, mm-hmm. I kind of made the decision that, like, if I can't leave work at work, I can't work. Right. So I figured it out. Got it. You know. It, it seeps through, you yeah. know, the energy, but I'm much better at it now, yeah. much better. But Arrival was such a great set. What I was saying, I brought her yeah. to set a lot. It was really, it was one of the most calm, quiet sets I've ever been on. And she enjoyed coming in and um, sitting in that big space where we would talk to the aliens. And it, well, because it's when you say talk to the aliens, I mean, I guess it's also a way to see the magic of the movies because mm-hmm. it's more green screen acting than probably maybe for playing Lois Lane, there would have been some, but this would have... This is different. Yeah. Yeah. How do you like that when you're not actually acting opposite something? It's fun. It challenges your imagination, which is really what acting is anyway. It's it's stimulating your imagination. And Denis was great, and he hired puppets, so we knew where to look. It, that was helpful. And you got to sort of create a relationship with whatever was in your head, right. which is... Um, kind of what I do all the time anyway. <laughs> but but really it's a great challenge to your imagination and it, it ended up I really loved it I really had a great time on that set it's one of my favorite experiences that's awesome yeah and people love love that movie all right so this brings us to a very busy 2018 that I guess the first thing was sharp objects yes. which is a limited series for HBO that you're playing this somewhat troubled journalist who returns to their hometown to try to solve a mystery there. Gillian Flynn described it as, quote, a character study hidden inside a mystery. It's not a whodunit. It's a who is she, mm-hmm. close quote, which I thought was pretty good. And this was, you know, you're speaking about producing. I think this was your first, first producing yeah. credit, yes, which is a big undertaking with Jean-Marc Vallée, who, had come, who was coming off another little HBO limited series called Big Little Lies. How did this come together and what was the appeal for you? It was while I was doing Arrival, I received this. And I remember, actually, I wasn't going to do it at first. Okay. I didn't want to go to that headspace. I didn't. I didn't. I was like, I have a kid. I don't know. I was in the middle of playing a really intense role and I just couldn't wrap my head around how would I play her authentically and yet still be a functioning human being. Mm-hmm. I sat at a table with Gillian and with Jessica Rhodes mm-hmm. and with Marty Noxon. And we just talked about sort of the story of the women, the story of familial violence and all of these things that I just hadn't seen told that many times from a female point of view. And then I thought, how can I not do this? Mm-hmm. You know, how can I not be a part of this? And I had been working with Jean-Marc Vallée developing a Janis Joplin project. Right. And that sort of had stalled for a bit. And so I thought, you know, you guys should really meet 
Jean-Marc. He loves, you know, complicated female yeah. characters. He had just done Wild. And so he actually signed on to this before, before Big Little wow. Lies. Yeah, I like wow. to take credit yeah. for this, for sure. I mean, Reese is, uh, is okay, right. but no, are you kidding? I, don't, I have so much admiration that's for Reese. But yeah, so, so that's sort of how that manifested. Yeah. And then we went around with our little troupe and, and pitched it around and... And HBO was a great home for it. I know the the physical requirements were pretty demanding, and I'll leave it to you if you can give a little bit about that. But was the psychological aspect of it as as challenging as you expected it might be? Yeah, it was. Yes, it was. She's so internal, so I left a lot of scenes feeling like I wanted to cry. Like I cried more off camera than I cried on camera because Camille didn't ever want to let people see. So most of, if you notice, most of when she's having a reaction to anything, it's alone. And so it was a hard one, uh-huh. you know, to, to do, but I had a great cast and a great family, you know, there would definitely be times I would wake up in the middle of the night and like have to get myself back on track. Right. Yeah. And we should just say like the prosthetics and all of that to create the appearance of the of the cutting scars. Mm-hmm. I mean, how long every every day are we talking about? Well, when I was in full body scars, mm-hmm. it was about three hours. Even when I was in partial scars, it was about, right. you know, two hours. Had you ever had anything like that before? No. No, no I hadn't. But it prepped me for Vice. That's so, still, yeah, yeah, yeah right. Segue. No, it's yeah. good. Thanks for tuning But yeah, up. that yeah. one, but I did have a great experience on it, and I'm yeah. glad I did it, and mm-hmm. I loved producing it. Right. I loved being a part, again, being a part of solutions. That's So there's going to be more of that. I hope yeah. so. Yeah. And is the Janis Joplin one could ever happen? Probably not with me. I, no. But I mean, I'd love to do it. It's yeah. just I think sometimes you just have to let things go if they don't look like they're coming together. Right. Yeah. So Vice, back with Adam McKay 13 years later after Talladega Nights. This is a long way from crawling across the table to make out with Will Ferrell. Uh, <laughs> to put from that to Lynn Cheney is covering a lot of ground. It is covering um, <laughs> a lot of ground. So how did he... I'd like to know how that pitch went where it's like, you know, would you like to play Lynn Cheney? That must I have got been. a script. Yeah. You know, and I'm trying to remember if Adam had sent me a text before or after I got the script. Just saying, I'm sending you something, read it, let me know what you think, kind of thing. And and You'd kept in touch through the years? I'd seen him a couple yeah, I'd I'd hosted a couple things for the big short oh, and like yeah, seen him yeah, throughout yeah. the years. I loved the big short. Yeah. So yeah, I'd been in, in, in touch with him and yeah, seen him at various, you know various hostings and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I read it and I didn't even really think about that I was playing Lynn Cheney because I, I just loved the character that he'd drawn. And I loved his storytelling. I loved his tone. I loved the challenge of it. Anything that seems like it might be overly ambitious, that's what I want to do. Like <laughs> whether it's emotionally ambitious right. or, you know, it's just it, it was an ambitious because we were playing from 20 to 70 and covering yeah. so much information and Lynn having to communicate who she is in the scenes that kind of helped tell the story was a challenge. And so, of course, I wanted to do it. So I was like, this is impossible. Yes. <laughs> and then how does somebody prepare to play a part like that where, I mean, the physical stuff is going to be worked out with the prosthetics and with makeup and yeah. maybe you still have to figure out posture and things like that. But yeah. the mindset, I mean, people have likened her to Shakespearean character. I think in the presentation. Yeah. I'm always mindful that she's a real person yeah. before I say anything about <laughs> who she is or her intentions. Right. So in my presentation of her, I can see that comparison. 
And so you, I know you read a lot. You, I she's didn't. written books. She's, she's written a lot of books, yeah. and she's you know hosted talk shows, and mm-hmm. she's been on book tours. So I sort of had to triangulate, you know, mm-hmm. take what I was looking at, what I thought, and also take the script and the story that we were telling, and and kind of figure out how she worked inside of that and her personality. And you know, we had some sources, and I say that with quotes <laughs> because I don't even know who they were. The people that but were let, involved. people who yeah. had written letters uh, about each of the characters and kind of had a lot to say. Third time with Christian. Obviously, these characters are intertwined for all those years that you're playing. Mm-hmm. Did you guys coordinate your preparation or, or you know, backstories or whatever? Not backstory. We kind of you have working from the same record. But, yeah. I mean, is there anything that you guys did aside from show up on the same days to do your scenes together? Like, were you able to consult with each other? Not really. No. no. I mean, we talk about it. That's the thing. Like, you, when in your meetings leading up, there's conversations and it's it's interesting because when you're when David works in such a different way. So the last time I worked with Christian, and we were playing those those two characters who were so bonded over their, in a very intense way. Con artistry, yeah. Yeah, but it was like right. it's a very intense bond they mm-hmm. had, and so coming into this, I just felt like whatever Christian did, I knew we were going to be going in the right direction, mm-hmm. and and he lets me play and and lets me try things and we can sit in silence acting together and I just feel like it makes sense. So it's a rare gift to have that, to have sort of an unspoken ease with a scene partner. That takes time. ever been as impressed with him as with this? I'm always impressed with him. I mean, I think this, I just, the commitment level, I think what was impressive because he's always so brilliant. I mean, I've just always admired his work when I work with him or when I watch him. So what was impressive was his work ethic. That's what I was blown away with on this because he went into prosthetics every day for three to five hours. And that was every day. So he worked, yeah, I think he worked every day on this. And so to see him never complain, always come in with energy, always have ideas, not even a hint of exhaustion. And he must have just been so exhausted. Mm -hmm. Still playful, still ready to go, a real leader on set. Yeah. So that impressed me. I love the movie, and I thought you guys were both. It's uh, from Thank being you. somebody who kind of really follows politics. I, I'm junkie. I, it's eerie to see both of you as those guys. But uh, well, Adam has a very strong political point of view, and yeah. and you know it's an interesting thing to dive into because it's not my typical kind of role. So right. Have any of you heard any indication of whether or not the Cheneys have seen it or had any feedback? I haven't. Yeah. No, I haven't gone looking though. No. To be fair, I. I <laughs> I haven't gone looking. I mean, if Lynn wanted to talk to me, yeah. I'd be willing, even if it meant that I just listened to her. Yeah. I don't think, I mean, what, what do you think their reaction would be? I don't think no. it would be bad. I mean, people, like, I think the, Dick Cheney gets to say his piece. Well, I think there used to be a time in a political world where you could disagree politically with yeah. someone and still invite them to dinner. Yeah. And so that's kind of, you know, where I'm sitting on that. So yeah. I hope, I don't know. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Last question is, if it's somehow, and I hope hope it's not, although I uh, never know if it's 13 years more before I get to do one of I these with not. you. I hope not. What do you hope these next, you know, this next phase, we went through the innocence, we went through the, I guess, what was it, the, ba- the rebels or the badasses? Uh, <laughs> I uh, play more badasses. <laughs> that sounds like fun. Now I don't, um, I don't know what we're currently, but I mean, also, no, I just, just I want to throw in there the woman in the window, because I've heard this is going to be something we're all going to be talking about in the next year yeah, or something. 
it's so I finished it and I was like, what am I trying to do to myself? Like between sharp objects <laughs> right. and woman in the window, I'm like, well, what do you even like yourself, Amy? Like, know. what are you doing? Um, it's a woman who is agoraphobic and she believes she witnesses something sort of like rear window and mm-hmm. she starts to sort of go through. I mean, Joe will talk about it because he had a wonderful way kind of going through it's it's a journey through anxiety, basically. And, and he was not letting me get away with not feeding into my own self. Ugh. And he would not let me hide. Joe is Joe. Joe Wright, right. sorry. Yeah, no, no. yeah, it's a really good example of him saying, oh, no, I don't want a character, Anna Fox. I want Amy to play Anna Fox. And I'm like, I don't think this is... So it was... Um, that was a tough one. <laughs> not spiritual. Like, it was right. great. Like, I loved working with everybody. I mean, I got to do a scene with Julianne Moore, and then I got to do scenes with Gary Oldman. I mean, I'm still that person that I'm like, can you believe I get to act with <laughs> Gary Oldman? I mean, he was yelling inches from my face. He was right there, and I was watching him act, and he's so good. I still get that right. way. So for me, I, I'm thrilled. So I hope in the next 13 years I just I want to produce more. Yeah. I want to introduce new talent because, like, finding Eliza for Sharp Objects was yeah. so exciting, and yeah. now she's going off to do something. I think her getting cast in Little Women, I don't know that I've ever been that excited to get, <laughs> ca- like, when I've been cast in right, anything. Right, right. And when she called me and told me she was cast, I mean, I, I almost started crying. I felt way too overly proud. I mean, I'm sure she was like, Amy, that's a little creepy. I mean, like, <laughs> you realize they didn't say you got cast. Um, I was just so proud of her. She's such right. a good girl. She's going to be a great actress. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, more of the more of that, and then I'm hoping to have some fun. I've yeah. been a little dark lately, so I'd like to. I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. Well, I hope yeah. I hope you have it. It's an amazing batting average. Nobody, just the consistent year by like every year. There's there's one of these that everybody's talking about, and they're mm-hmm. always great. So I really so lucky. That's amazing. Just so so lucky. Well, I'm really fortunate. Thanks for talking Thank about you. it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast for free on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. And you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at thr.com slash the race. Until next time, thanks for joining us. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.